Hello, everybody. Welcome to season three, episode two of the Steve Greaves podcast, Making Connections, a little more choral adjacent this season. And I'm happy to have with me on uh, episode two, Tim Tharaldson, Director of Choral Activities at Benedictine College in Atchison. Hope I said that right, Kansas. Hello, Tim. Good morning. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Tim, I have you as a conductor, composer, scholar. Anything else? Any other hyphenates in there? Scholar's a little crazy, but sure. Yes, well, everything doing... else sounds good. So let's just talk I a little am. bit. Okay. Let's just talk about yeah. it a little bit, okay? So you did your, I see in your bio, you did your bachelor's degree at St. Cloud State University, St. Cloud, Minnesota. I did. All right, yeah. who was the choral director there? I actually had four or five in my years there. My main conductor, though, that I that I take the most from uh, or was my main mentor was Jeff Dalma. Oh, gotcha. It was Jeff's first job outside of college. And then, um, prior to him being at a couple other schools before going to Yale as well. But yeah, Jeff is who I consider to be my main mentor, but I had some great, I had some great teachers there. There's just a bunch of turnover during that time. Of course, of course. But we'll see, we're music people and I've been a visiting person uh, a lot yeah. in my career. And I think that's awesome. Some people are like, oh my God, yeah. I need to have the same person for four years. You ruined my senior year, you left. But I'm just like, I, you know, maybe because I started off in orchestra land where the guest conductor, people, you know, the orchestra conductor professionally are there half the season and you always have guests. You're a little more in the mode for that. You know, you don't get sort of tied exactly. to the person. So I, you say that, I'm like, wow, who are the four people? That sounds awesome. You could learn so much. Um, all right. And then you moved on. And what did you major in there? Music ed or music? I did a BA in music, actually. It was kind of performance degree. I was thinking music ed off and on, and I just decided uh, I, I'm going to, I loved it there. And actually, I loved it there. It's the joke in my, my family that I loved it long enough to stay for six years. Um, <laughs> and then uh, then I, I moved a friend to Colorado and fell in love with Colorado. And like six months after I was there, I moved there after oh, I graduated cool. with my BA. Cool. So. So, I mean, the show is Making Connections. Jeff and my wife, Julie, were classmates at Concordia. Yeah. So there's our little connection there. My wife, Julie, oh, sweet. Is, yeah. a, is a Concordia graduate, and she went to school with Jeff and Paul Ochter and Eric Runestad and Russell Svenningson, all sort of in this little crew together. All right. So I taught, at, I, I, taught yeah. I, went, I did my DMA at the University of Colorado, 1995-2000. And I see you were at Greeley. Did uh -huh. I skip? Yeah. So Greeley, Galen Darrow. I was. And actually, yeah, um, I moved to Colorado in 2000. So right when you were finishing um, and I was at UNC, I did my master's. <laughs> that, that's the joke is I six years to do my undergrad, but two semesters to do my master's degree, um, which was a little crazy. But I also had the opportunity to study with Dr. Howard Skinner. It was his last year there, too. Sure. Um, and that's where the story gets a little bit odd. I, uh, I um, stayed for the doctorate and uh, finished my coursework for a doctorate in choral conducting with a secondary in composition, uh, and then realized I had nothing on my resume where I taught at all, and I had the opportunity to have an amazing, amazing high school teaching position in Fort Collins at Rocky Mountain High School, yeah. and I took it. And uh, so I never actually, I went back, I was thinking to go back and finish that degree, because um, I just had a couple exams in my dissertation left, but I never did, and I timed out. Wow. Yeah. So um, I have the coursework for that degree finished, but 
I got you. In 2000, yeah. I was out at Gunnison at Western State College at that point. I went right from CU Boulder to Western State. Oh, okay. Yeah. And actually, nice. Galen, Galen, I'm a little closer with Galen than with Howard Skinner. My wife did a year at, uh, she started her, her, her doctorate at Greeley as well, but she was trying a commute yep. from Gunnison to, um, to Greeley. Oh my gosh. And in the winter, I mean, she was living you know, we got a little place to stay in, in Greeley for the week, but, uh, you know, in the winter time, it, it, it that just wasn't happening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got a, I got a job at South Dakota state university and I took her away. So it's my fault. She didn't finish. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, my first, one of my first things there, I mean, this is my first job out of school too at Western state. And, um, sure. we had the Colorado collegiate choral festival, like at a big church yeah. in Denver in November of my first year. And, you know, Western State's a small school. Um, you know, again, we don't, I don't get into talking about people who were there before me, but small and, you know, challenging, yeah, yeah. let's just say. And uh, I put together a nice little program for us. I, I sang in this festival when I was a student at CU. So I was familiar with, I think we were at Welshire Presbyterian at that point. It was always at Welshire Presbyterian. Yep. Um, so I came in and- I've sung I think, we did Inoria by the the six songs of early Canada, uh, maybe the Mac Wilberg, my shepherd will supply my my need. But just you know, yeah. I got out of school with my and we'll talk about this because this is where my big dissertation. And I'm just like, okay, I have to teach vo voice and how to sound good. It's not going to be the most you know interesting repertoire in the world, or you know, no Stravinsky on the program first semester. Um, yeah. And Galen come up to me and he, and, his, and he was just and I knew him a little bit. And his just mouth was a gap. And I'm like, okay, what happened? Did I, did I screw up? He's like, that was just the most <laughs> incredible thing I've ever heard in my life. And he'll, he'll remember, he always sees me and he says, Colorado Collegiate Festival 2000. You did a great job, Western State College. So, um, you know, he and I have been in touch a little bit, but my wife tried a year at Greeley, but, you know, driving over Monarch yeah. Pass in the winter is, is not a great yeah, thing. Yeah, that's so. insane. Okay, so you taught how long, so good at that. How, how long did you- oh, I was just going to say. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say about Galen, we were at CMEA one year and there was this incredible middle school boys choir. And I mean, they were singing a four part Bach motet type or a, a chorale from a motet and all sorts of stuff. And he jumped to his feet and he screamed at everybody around us in the audience and is like, if you don't understand this, you need to leave our profession because <laughs> she had these boys singing in four part harmony. It was amazing as eighth graders, but yeah, he's yeah. really good at that. He's, he's great at sensing. He's good at a lot of things, but he's great at realizing the work that it takes to do what we do. And he's yeah. always very, very honest about it. And I love that. About yeah. And one, one last thing, because we were, Galen and I were adjudicating together as well, you know, so I'm doing the circuit, doing all the regional festivals out there in Colorado. And, um, I, unlike, I mean, like you, I have a BA, but unlike you, I didn't say, Hey, I'm going to get a teaching job. I just kept plowing forward. Um, but there's a special needs choir. I can't remember where, where it was. And I'm like, Oh, it was my turn um, to, to clinic them. And I'm like, Oh my God, how am I going to do this? I had no experience with this at all. Um, Cause it's not really about the technical aspects of the music at that point. Uh, but he got up there and man, it was magic. I mean, he found that yeah. found. He just revealed sort of countless things that they did. You know, I sat there and I could say, okay, well, they don't really sing in tune. It's not really to get it, but it wasn't about that. But he just, you know, put his finger on the pulse of what was awesome about that. And I'm like, I really, I wrote that. I, I checked that moment and I remember that forever. That what a great moment. Okay. So you did some teaching after, after yeah. that. How long were you there? I was at Rocky for five years. Oh, okay. Um, 
Yeah, till 2012. And then um, uh, life got a little crazy and moved to DC for a little bit, moved back to Colorado and taught here and there. And my last job in Colorado teaching and last job teaching high schools at Ponderosa and Parker. Um, oh, cool. Took over a, a, a halftime position when I started that became full-time two weeks into the school year, which was pretty sweet. But wow, a program that had um, at once was really, really thriving, had fallen out by the wayside a little bit. And really, it was one of my favorite gigs because there's no... There was no idea of what it was supposed to be like to sing in a choir. Sure. And so, and like when I stepped into Rocky, I was one of two full-time choral directors there and two band directors, and a, an amazing orchestra conductor that should have had two as well because their program was massive. And that was easy in a way. Yeah, but this was, I mean, from scratch and I loved it. It was absolutely awesome. Um, but yeah, so I was, and that was in 2015. And then I got a call from a friend from UNC actually to uh, come here to Benedictine in, in Atchison. And I've been here since and loving it. Awesome. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about teaching and conducting. Have you been composing all this time? When did you get, you know, I started composing, composing yeah. right at the end of my, toward the end of my undergrad. Um, I wrote a piece one night in a practice room. Uh, it was, it was, I'll never have it performed again. Uh, I don't like it, but I will love it at the same time forever. But it was, it was written with a lot of inspiration, but I wrote a piece um, using the Lacrimosa Diacila text. Uh, Cause I was studying heavily studying the Mozart Requiem at the time, but I wrote this piece and yeah, it was inspired, but it wasn't really good, but it got, I got the taste and then um, started taking some composition lessons right at the end of my undergraduate degree. Um, even dabbled in a little bit of electronic music because my professor is one of the leading electronic music composers in the world. Um, and Scott Miller is, and so I, I started to get into it. Then when I got to Colorado, I had a church gig in Boulder at Trinity Lutheran and I started writing for them a little bit. Um, and then writing for, uh, I became the artistic director of the Longmont Corral in Longmont. Um, and I wrote for them a couple of times and then it just kind of took off and I am actually just about done. In fact, you were interrupting this, my first, uh, draft of my doctoral dissertation at the university of Kansas in composition is due next Thursday. Ah. So I'm writing a cantata right now on the life of St. Benedict actually for Excellent. choir, baritone strings and organ. And so I'm, except this is a great break because that's all I'm doing. Right awesome. awesome. But yeah, guess, so I've been writing all along. Super. Let me, I guess, uh, let me clarify where I, I chucked scholar in there. I saw a PhD. No, I thought you were doing a musicology degree. Nope. Nope. Yeah, I'm not. Okay. So there it's we clarified that. I mean, I'm not saying you're not scholarly or a smart person. I know. I'm just. I saw that. I saw that PhD. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. I was like, wow, he's going to do that too. Um, okay. So tell me a little bit about your relationship here. One more Colorado connection, the uh, Cantori with Richard Larson. Yeah. yeah. When, when, so, how did you get involved with that? I was, I first got involved by obviously, um, well, it's weird. My first interaction came with, with Dick Larson, actually. Um Dick and I met in 2001. So I was already living in Colorado, but I went back to Minnesota to go to the Renee Claussen Choral Festival. And I sat in the back. 
uh, in the base because we sat by section all week when we were in the big group stuff. And it was pretty it was a pretty odd week, but really changed my life in many ways because I'm sitting in between Dick Larson and the other special guest in the base section all the time, Eric Whitaker. Hmm. Um, and so the three of us were a little bit obnoxious back there. Um, hmm. But I really hit it off with Dick and he was presenting on Cantri and how Cantri came to be. Um, and then about three years later, I actually finally had the time to go audition for him. And I auditioned and got in in 2004. And I sang mainly through 2011, I think it was. And then I moved and then I came back um, and sang the last couple of years. I was in Colorado as well. Hmm. Uh, and you know, it's it's. I, I think I refer to it as, as, as an extra master's degree, um, singing with not only Dick Larson, but just the experience and the crazy, crazy opportunities we got to have because of that choir. I mean, when, sure. whenever any conductor was in Denver, they would stop by our rehearsals and, you know, just networking and, yeah, yeah. and just from a musical standpoint, just unbelievable. And I think, I think the world of Dick Larson, I think he is one of the greatest American choral directors we've ever had. Mm. And he would tell you he doesn't belong in any sort of conversation like that. But if you look at his career, it's he's taken three different choirs to ACDA national conferences to yeah. perform. I mean, that's that's yeah. insane for, to begin with. Right. That, um, I mean, but he's just that with he's thinking with it was a People do that with their same choir, but that's like, you know, winning the World yeah. Series as a manager of three different teams, really. Yeah, because you have to have five years at least with a minimum with a group to even apply and audition. Right. Right. But no, singing with Cantor, I was, and it's still some of my closest friendships um, and my dearest friends have were made in the years in that group and people I really, truly love. Right. I think I think Colorado, I, I knew nothing. Of, I, uh, I went to see you. Um, Larry Captain came to... Yeah summer program at University of Maine, where I was doing my master's. I'm an East Coast person. So yeah. I was doing my master's at University of Maine, and I just thought he was fantastic. Yes. And we were between Lynn Whitten and Joan Coleman. Uh, um, so I, I started with Joan Coleman in 1995, which was just serendipitously great. Um, yeah. But I, I just think we're, it's Colorado was sort of an underrated state, if, if you think about the whole sort of, you know, history of choral music or all the programs around. I mean, it's really... We we think very highly of ourselves, the University of Colorado, with our Warner Imigs and and Lynn Wittens and um, yeah. Walter Collinses and Larry Captains and uh, but I just think it's so solid out there and it doesn't really get the uh, some some of the press that other states or programs or regions if, get. If people could go to the Colorado Summer Workshop, the ACDA Summer Workshop, and see how that is. I mean, I know what it's like in Minnesota, and yeah, yeah. which is an unbelievable world, too. Uh, and Absolutely. that's the closest to my heart since it's where I'm from. But but what I experienced in Colorado in the choral scene, unbelievable. It's yeah. there, there are great things going on there. Some, some high school programs that... I mean, I remember I, I did a program with Rocky at the time when one of the years I was there, but uh, St. Olaf was doing a recruiting tour and they came out and Anton called me and two other choir directors that had these unbelievable programs like at Cherry Creek and oh, um, at Smoky Hill, which actually I taught at Smoky Hill for a brief amount of time too in 2013. But, um, but the three choirs together along with the St. Olaf choir gave a performance. And that was one of the craziest performances I've ever been mm. part of. I mean, just amazing. Right, right. And just 
I mean, just to have those resources and everybody there, it's a great scene in Colorado and choral music. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's pause for a second because okay. where you're from, Minnesota? Where where are you uh -huh. from? What's your I grew hometown? up. In, I grew up in Alexandria. Okay, where is that for the uninitiated? Uh, do you know where St. Cloud is? I do. Yeah, about sixty miles up ninety four up Interstate ninety four. Okay, so like an hour away from St. Cloud. Smallish place. Smallish. About the sign population sign says only like 13,000, but most people live on the lakes. It's one of the big lakes areas of Minnesota. It's actually about 30,000 is my oh, understanding. Okay. And in the summer, jumps to almost 50. Okay. Um, okay. But it was a beautiful place to grow up. Super. Musical Gorgeous experience. Place to grow up. High school program, musical programs. How did, were you involved with music? Unbelievable choral program. Um, actually, there have only been four choir directors in the 100 plus years of my high school. Wow. Um, uh, Steve Dietz, who's currently there, has been there since 1987. Murray Frang, who was one of the first, uh, was one of the um, initial members of ACDA, one of the first board members. And it's, it's smack dab in the middle of all of the, may, especially the Lutheran choir scenes. So, I mean, all of us, it's, it's, it's an, an amazing, amazing program that I grew up in. Yeah, yeah. We used to, when I taught at South Dakota, we called it the Lutheran Triangle. From you know, yeah. you, know you can draw it from um, you know Saint Olaf and Concordia to Luther College, and and make a little <laughs> Lutheran zone. And there. and yeah. uh, there's actually a really there's a really interesting thing where like the um, in a non-pandemic situation, obviously, uh, when they do their domestic tours or recruiting tours, a lot of those groups start in Alexandria, or it's one of their first things. And they've got a rotation going <laughs> like this oh, year, it's gotcha. next year it's St. Olaf and Gus Davis comes up there, Augustana, you know, it's just, and our Augsburg. And it's like, it's just kind of people that it it's, it's really crazy to see what was going on there when I yeah. was a kid. Yeah. And your last name, S-O-N, you're Norwegian. S -O -N. Very Norwegian, uh, very Norwegian with Tharaldsson. Yeah. My grandfather's name was Oli Huftu Tharaldsson. Ah. But uh, my, yeah, there's some German in there too, but uh, also my family is very proud Norwegian. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm married to a, a Norwegian. We visited the, the Kaldor farm outside oh. of Lillehammer. Right. Um, and I've learned that the S-O-N is generally Nor Norwegian. The S-E-N is generally Swedish. Generally Swedish. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, well, <laughs> you, you have to learn these things when you, um, when you marry into this, this culture. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk about Benedictine college. Um, yeah. I taught at two sort of religiously affiliated schools. Is that something that really appeals to you? Is it something that really resonates with you? Uh, have you done church work? How do you, you know, tell me a little bit about your current position. So, yeah, I, my first gig was, I've done a lot of church music. My first gig was working at a tiny little Methodist church when I was an undergrad. Uh, if everyone was there, I had six people in the choir. Um, yeah. Great job to start out. And, Bumped around at some different church shops as an undergrad to get that out again. Um, in Colorado, I worked at uh, Trinity Lutheran, as I said, in Boulder for, gosh, five years there. Um, and I've had church gigs off and on. I am always drawn to it. And it's been interesting in the fact that um, I've also had a really hard time, and I think this will resonate with many of us, but I have a hard time being a, a church musician and having a spiritual life. Yes. You know, and having my own faith life because um, you're, you're just people don't look at you that way. It's, yeah. it's kind of odd and it's a challenge and it's, it's pushed me away a couple of times, to be honest with you, just for personal reasons. I couldn't do that. Okay, this is my job. I need that. 
Right. Um, but when I got when I got the opportunity to work at Benedictine, I knew I knew that it was it was going to be eye opening for me. And I didn't realize as much as I would as I would find now six years into it. I I love liturgical music. I'm not Catholic, yeah. um, but I. I love, I love the liturgy and I love how music plays a role in there. And I'm very lucky at Benedictine to have students that are passionate about it. Yeah. Um, and so not only, not only is it just even the liturgical music stuff we're doing, but I mean, any, you know, the sacred works I, I get to do, it's, it's, I remember in our, our men's choir, which is now called St. Benedict Singers, but we were doing a, an arrangement of Let All Mortal Flesh. And I asked the I asked the guys, I was like, you know, what, what, what are we talking about here in verse four? And one of the guys raised his hands. And again, we all know that men's choirs can be a little bit raucous from time to time yeah, and whatever. Indeed. But I heard, I heard one of the most beautiful off the top of the head uh, definitions of the different angels. Mm. And I mean, it's just, that's, that's who I'm around. My students are just passionate about it. And so it's really nice, especially as someone who taught in public schools who had to dance around the t the topic for a long time. Right, right. Um, it's it's something I really do love, and it's I get to be expressive about it, and I get to to be with people that love that aspect and sacred music in in general. So I right. really, yeah, I, really I, enjoy I agree. It. I mean, um, I really couldn't agree more. I've been in a couple of places. Um, I mean, backwards, August, I did a visiting gig for Paul Nessheim at Augustana College in Sioux Falls. And um, oh, yeah. boy, you know, and I love doing the chapel thing. I, I love that part of it. I love we, we would, yeah. we, the choirs would rotate for the Wednesday service um, because I was conducting the Augustana choir. Um, we were front and center at the um, Sundays when the visiting students came, the prospective students, the recruiting Sundays, um, the chapel in the morning, our choir, the, the Augustana choir sang at that. Um, I was at Loris yeah. College for a year in a Catholic institution, a, a, a diocesan, so it wasn't like Benedictine or Franciscan, yeah. um, but still getting up and, and, and I mean, for me, it was, I love teaching. I love that age group, but I also love the liturgical music as well. Um, a little less so with DePaul. DePaul, DePaul sort of um, yeah. finds themselves as like a Catholic hospital. It's not for Catholics, it's run by Catholics. So, you know, there was a little more, mm -hmm. there was the service oriented aspect of that. And um, St. Vincent de Paul was right across the street from campus, but it was by no means connected. There, there were no sort of required. But at Loris, and it, I started a little chant club uh, at a fun, for fun at nice. Loris College. And I, I got a couple, every week, a couple kids for an hour, Wednesday night. It was like, you know, and again, spiritual and liturgical and religious and kind of relaxing for us, which, which was going to get us right into one of the main reasons that I've, I'm, I've, I've, I've invited you here is to talk a little bit about Arvo Pert. I saw your pictures mm -hmm. a couple of years ago and I made a mental note because I did part of my dissertation on some Arvo Pert pieces. Um, and I see oh, that okay. you met Arvo Pert and went for a walk in the woods with Arvo yeah. Pert. Um, why don't you talk a little bit if we're uninitiated who Arvo Pert is and um, what your relationship with him and his music is? Sure. Um... Uh, Arvo Pertz, an Estonian-born composer, spent many years in Germany, uh, but is now back in Estonia. And my my route to Pertz music has been really interesting in the fact that my first experience, and I, I have to admit, I don't even remember what piece it was, but when I was an undergrad, I was hired as a baritone to sing with some church choir. Um, 
that was trying to do, I think it was the Tadam or something, but it was a really bad experience, not because of the music, but because of the experience. Yeah. Um, I, it was one of those, and I've luckily been lucky enough to only have two of these I can think of in my career, but I grabbed my paycheck and ran. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, and that just made me, it's not what I'm about at all when it comes to music. But anyway, that was my only experience. And then uh, years later in like 20 or 2004, um, really, I was, I was hanging out with Eric Barnum and Eric was talking about Parrot and I... I was like, I just don't get it. I don't understand Parrot's music. And he he kind of said, you have to. <laughs> you have to realize this. And at that time, remember back when there were these things called bookstores? Yeah, yeah. And you could go and get books and music and stuff. Um, no, I went into a Barnes & Noble and I saw this CD that was, you know, that you could listen to uh, called The Tribute by the Estonian Philharmonic Choir and uh, Paul Hillier and and... I picked up the headphones and I, I listened to the first track, which was uh, Bogorica Devo, Devo, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. But then the second track was um, The Woman with the Alabaster Box. Mm -hmm. And there was a cadence in that piece that I actually swore out loud. Are you kidding me? And I, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe it. People around me were like, what is this? And I just grabbed the CD. It was something like I'd never heard before. Yeah. And I got a little obsessed and just really, really dug into his music. And I named my dog Arvo um, <laughs> when I got a new yellow lab. Um, I mean, I was it was a little crazy. And so but I've really just I've really been drawn to his music. And then but the the opportunity to meet him and 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 what happened was uh, kind of crazy and really wonderful and a gift as the way I look at it. But I was planning on doing last or in 2019, excuse me, 2020 mm -hmm. was the 30 year anniversary of the premiere of the Berliner Mass set. Yeah. Um, beautiful mass setting that he has. Um, and I was planning on doing it as like actually for a mass at Benedictine with the Benedictine College Chamber Singers. And I got a little grant from my school for the opportunity to do some travel every year or every other year, I think it is. But anyway, I there was a brand new parrot center opening up in Estonia in the woods. And I I wrote to them and I said, hey, I'm a conductor. I'm a composer. I'm, I'm planning on doing this to commemorate the 30th anniversary um, and just through the website. And I said, is there any way I could come visit the center and possibly do some studying there? And I had an email back within a couple of days and they're like, yeah, we, we don't know what we can do for you, but we're going to try. Wow. Um, and so in July of 2019, I set this up and I, um, I never expected Arvo Pear to be there. <laughs> I mean, hundred percent honest. I was like, okay, this is fine. Well, and, uh, my fiance is from Latvia. Yes. And so I've been to the area a couple of times. Um, or I'd been there once at that time and, um, but I was, you know, so it was an opportunity to, to see her family and stuff too. But, um, so I set this up for three days, Monday, Tuesday, and a Wednesday, uh, to go to the center and study about the Berliner mass and just parrots music in general. Mm -hmm. And I got there, uh, on Monday morning and the Parrot Center is literally in the middle of the woods. And <laughs> one of the things that's great about it is you have to park a long ways away. Yeah. Um, 
And it's part of the idea behind the center is you have to walk through these beautiful Estonian pines on this path that's very well manicured and everything. But it's supposed to kind of bring you centered. Yes. And it also is mysterious in the fact that like, you're like, okay, where is this place? And in truth, it only takes you about three or four minutes to walk it if you walk regular speed. Right. But there's benches. You can just sit down for a while. There's no traffic. You don't really hear the traffic. Um, there's a highway not too far away from it, but it's really secluded. And I got into the got into the center and they're not open on Mondays and Tuesdays. Okay. And so I had I had uh, signed or I had, I had uh, set up with the librarian there, this this wonderful guy named Tumas. And if Tumas happens to be listening, hello. Um, he's, he's a great guy. Uh, but he met me at the door, let me in. And then he, um, gave me a tour, uh, of the entire center. And it's, it's just stunning and got to see like any, I even got to see some behind the scenes sort of places and employee areas that he sent, he brought me to and, um, and just cool things. Well, then I, they gave me this little study room. They have about four different study rooms, Mm. um, and gave me some some access to their archives because that's one of the things they're trying to do is is play, make one place for all of his music and all right, research right. on him. So, um, I just started studying and I was there for about eight hours on the first day, yeah. And then the second day, I was actually only planning on being there in the morning. And Tumas let me in again, and I I found the stuff on Monday that I needed on Tuesday, and I looked through all on Tuesday. And I was leaving at about 11 o'clock in the morning and he had to walk me out because I had to make sure the door was locked again. And as I walked out, Arvo Pert was standing right outside. <laughs> and I tried not to fanboy too much right. and too much was really cool about it. But um, he was talking, it was so sweet. He was talking to this little boy who I think was eight mm-hmm. and his mother, he was holding a little like three quarter violin case. Yeah. I mean, it was just absolutely, and it turns out it was a viola. It looked like a little, tiny, tiny viola. Um, but I said to Tumas, we just kind of stood in the entryway while those people, while they were all talking. And I was like, do you think I could meet him? You know, obviously. And he's like, well, wait till they're done having their conversation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I waited and he let me out because he had to go. And I was just kind of standing weirdly, awkwardly on the <laughs> side yes. while they had this conversation. And they finished and I walked up to him and I introduced myself to him. And he said, well, yeah, I heard you were here. And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird, but cool. And of course he knows that. Yeah. Um, but he's like, let's go for a walk. Hmm. And it was a stunning July day. And we just started walking through the woods. And he was asking me about composition. And obviously, he was asking me about why I was studying there. Yeah. Um, and I told him, and I told him about the, you know, wanting to do the Berliner Messe and and he's asking me about my compositions. And I said, well, I write, you know, mainly for choirs and you've been a real inspiration and stuff. And we ended up back at the parking lot and next to my rental car. And uh, he said, well, and he showed me, he had this piece of paper in his hand. And here that little boy he had been talking to had just written his first composition mm. and he wanted to give it to Arvo Perrot. His mm-hmm. mom was a board member of that. And, and so they were family friends and stuff too. Sure. But so we stood there next to my rental car and looked at it. It was written in alto clef because the kid's a viola player. So it's yeah, great. Right. 
but we kind of sung through it together a little bit and it was just it was really cool and i asked him i asked him if i could take a selfie with him and he was very gracious and we did yeah. and then the most random thing is and it was all kind of surreal and then it's like well have a good day and he walked across the parking lot and disappeared into the woods <laughs> it was like did this actually really happen i was like there's no way um and it was really funny because my fiance was with me on the trip, but she didn't want to go sit and watch me research. So she right. was back at an Airbnb on the Baltic Ocean that we had, which was stunning. And uh, I got back there and I kind of, I, she's like, so how is it this morning? I was like, oh, yeah, it's fine, whatever. And I was actually, we were, I was going to go play golf in the afternoon because I'm a huge golf geek. And yeah. there was a golf course right there. And I was like, I'm going to play golf in Estonia. I'm here. So we had planned to do that all afternoon. But then I finally showed her the selfie and she's like, I knew it. I knew that you would meet him and all this. Anyway, jumping ahead the next day, she wanted to go with. Yeah. Um, and this is where it got really crazy and wonderful because um, the center was going to be open and I was just going to be there for the last couple hours. But we got there before the everyone before the center actually opened. Mm -hmm. And um, so I gave her a tour because by then I had walked around because I did a lot of just kind of walked around. There's a beautiful chapel in the middle of the center outside that I went and did some praying in and just kind of centering. And is, it's just a gorgeous place. And uh, but we walked in and uh, I was showing her like the library section and all of a sudden Arvo walked out of his office. Mm. And so I introduced him and. Uh, to my fiance Anya, and he's like, well, are you guys going to be here? My wife and I were listening to some of your music last night on YouTube, and I want to talk to you some more. <laughs> and I was like, um, yeah, I'll be yeah, here in a while. <laughs> and so um, he's like, yeah, I've got to go do some things. But he came back, and so I was in my little room, um, and he knocked on the door, and Anya was in with me. And then the real gift that I got was he walked in, um, and we went page by page through the Berliner Mass mm. and kind of talked about it, um, which he never talks about his music. And oh. he didn't talk about the composition of it. He didn't, he's, he would say in other interviews that I've read or listened to or whatever, he's like, my music, everything's on the page. Mm. You, you find it, it's there. Yeah. Um, and, but, but he did tell me like, there's different settings of the Alleluia that are in there. So you can use it different times of the year. Yeah. And he's like, oh, this one's my favorite. Mm. Um, and the, the edition I had was old. And so he wanted me. So he went and um, he went and got his score. Um, and we kind of looked through both of them because he was showing me things that he's changed. Uh, and there was a moment, too, where I felt I, I have to admit my ego got in the way and I felt really cool. But he was looking at and he was trying to reference another piece he was talking about. And mm -hmm. we walked out together to the library section, which is right outside where I was. And there's a comp, there's a copy of every one of his pieces in the library. Yeah. And so he was grabbing that piece. And by then the center was full and there were like two bus loads of tourists there and everything else. And he just ignored him because mm. that's, he's used to it probably. But I was like, oh yeah, he's with me. Just, you guys can leave. <laughs> um, but it was kind of this stupid thing, but we talked it through and spent some time and then uh, he said, so what are you, what are you writing? And I go, well, I'm writing this. And I was writing a piece for our lessons and carols at the time for the following December at Benedictine. And I was like, so what are you writing? And he's like, 
oh, I'm just revising. And I, I found out he revises things all the time. Uh-huh. He, he's one of, he's, I'm not one of those composers. I recently did, on Tuesday night, I did a piece of mine with Wayne, one of my groups at BC that uh, I haven't conducted or I wrote it in like 20 or 2007. Uh-huh. I haven't conducted it since. Yeah. I would write that piece so differently now. Sure. But I'm like, that is what it is. Leave it alone. Evidently, he rewrites yep. a lot. Yeah, he rewrites a lot of things. But um, anyway, then he's like, I have a gift for you. I'll, I'll be right back. Um, and he left and he came back. And there's a DVD that he's worked with uh, one of his main biographers and a, a family friend that works with the center and stuff. He created this DVD in 2015 called If I Lose Everything. Hmm. And it's interviews and it's little clips of music. And it's it's him talking about his music. But he had a copy of it. And... He signed it as a gift to me. Um, and then um, I had, uh, I, he, Anya was in the room with us too. And those two were talking a little while because she uh, is studying and has dedicated a huge chunk of her life to chant. Yeah. And um, she taught in Rome for five years and has, has done a lot of things with chant. So they were talking some chant things and some, and of course, she's like, you know, hey, I grew up right next to you, but I don't know your language. And yeah, yeah. she's like, well, what I language? don't know you yours really. Sorry, Tim. Are you all speaking English? Well, all speaking English. Yeah, I should have said that because I, 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 I speak English poorly. Um, but no, it was that was our common language. But okay. then he, um, but yeah, so those two had a little had a little bit of time together and and talked for a bit and. Uh, then he gave her a hug and he gave me a big hug and he just said, may angels guide you on your way. And he walked out. Wow. And Anya was like, are we done? And I was like, yep, that's how it ends. <laughs> and so it was just, it was an absolute gift. And, and it's, it's made me, it's made me realize who he is yeah. and he's very different than what I think a lot of people think of him. You know, um, ECM had put out a lot, obviously they've been a huge part of putting out his music as a, Mm -hmm. as a recording, you know, huge thing in a huge industry in, in Europe. But I feel like there was, and this is my personal take on it. I have nothing to back this up except for my looking at all this stuff. I think they almost made him out to be like some sort of monk. Yeah. He was, and not... And I, I know a lot of monks now. I work with them on a daily basis. And I, I mean, the monks at Beastie are wonderful people. And and um, I, and they're a lot crazier than I think a lot. They're humans. I yeah. mean, and I think the same thing that, and just fun and everything else. And I think that's the same thing with Parrot. His music is serious, but he has a, such a fun side to him, such a, a human side to him that it was great to actually like meet that and yeah. to change my take on it. Yeah. Um, and well, it's, I, it's only grown deeper. Yeah. I, I think part of it is, you know, in our world today with, you know, media, social media marketing, you don't, you don't see him sort of, he's a little old school in the way that he's not front and center marketing. It's, so you can build a of little, course. you can build a little mythos around him because we don't, know him in the same way as we know a lot of composers that we know through their Facebook pages or their promotional pages. So there's a little more mystery that people fill in, but yeah, it's associating the type of music, this sort of ethereal, um, 
a lot of it is in Latin and more of it is in English. And it is, it's vaguely ancient, um, ancient liturgical religious music, but in not, not very specific. He's not like I'm an Orthodox composer or I'm a Catholic composer. Right. And it's, he's it's, very, actually, he does not say that. And he's right. very, if he's, he's adamant about anything in the interviews and stuff that I've read, you know, he is, but he doesn't say that like this. Yeah is overtly orthodox or because i grew up in you know in that well and he came to it later yeah if i remember things but i mean yeah it's paul hillier always says that the best way to to really understand a paired piece is just to to sing through it or play through it once a rehearsal yeah you don't have to sit there and you know although some of it is very difficult yeah um but he said it's there like like he told me he's like it's on the page you you do you need to discover it for yourself but right. yeah you're right it's it's not a gimmick either i mean it's it's so honest it's this is who i am this is he he says he's working out something for himself if you mm. figure out that's great yeah. if you figure out something for you that's why he doesn't talk about his music right he's like like the meaning of it and i've learned I've learned that as a as a composer where I don't I always talk about what I think a piece is like, but that's not what's important to me. Right. If a group is like a choir singing one of my pieces, it's important that they have something that they understand something about what they think my music is, but they'll never know what it's like. Yeah. I mean, even though you and I have all these connections, um, you know, I, I have a piece called Stars Over Snow that's all about laying on a frozen lake in my hometown in the middle of January when I was like in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And I've actually had the opportunity to guest conduct my high school choir singing that piece. And even though they, I could tell them, this is in the middle of Lake Carlos off of this point in front of Luther Crest and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They know where I'm talking about, but I'm 28 years older than any of them. So I had a different experience. Right. My point about this is, do you think about it? Have you considered what this text is about? Do you, that's important to me. It's not, do you know my story? Yeah. Because yeah. it doesn't matter. Right. It really doesn't matter at all. Right. But knowing something. And I think that's a great thing about Parrot too. But how is it that someone, you know, until very recently in this BBC thing that they do every year, you know, he was the most performed living composer for like the last eight years until John Williams took him over. Right, right. But yet there's so many outside of my students, there's so many people I talk to that are like, Arvo? What is that? What? What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, part? Part? What is part? No, it's paired. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, it's like, you know, you have to explain it. And I know a lot of people that I've sung in choirs with, you know, when we did some of his pieces in Cantorai, some of them were like, this is the most boring music I've ever sung in my life. Right. And I'm like, yep, I get that. I can understand why you would say that. To me, it's the most inventive, interesting music. Right. It's what makes if music we're trained, if we're If we're trained to think that music has to do something, beginning, middle, end, and in a certain way in our system, I mean, it, it does seem boring because it doesn't do that. I did... um boy you know coming out of school very very uh ambitious i did that little um solfeggio he, oh, early so piece crazy. and he's starting to you know at uh south dakota state university and he's like this does nothing this is the scale i mean it's not 
it's a it's South Dakota is a band state, you know, so it's not, it sounds yeah. like a band tuning before <laughs> before a, yeah. before a concert. They they people come on stage and check their tuning. I thought that's really strange, but um, you know, it really grew on them though. We 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 kept with it. I'm like, okay, so it's not about anything. It's about the sounds and the difference and the registers and this and you know nothing right. Let's let's get out of the habit that you think something's happening here. Like like we're gonna have a big climax. Well, we did have a climax. We're fourth day. And it's you know the yeah. register change like it's just a different way of of thinking about music um then you know we we can't train people in everything and and then then yeah, exactly then, then what our mainstream sort of training teaches us so uh well, but i would challenge anybody i would challenge anybody to write that piece right exactly exactly that's the crazy thing about it it is a scale sung on solfege syllables <laughs> Literally, and in Europe, that's just what they learn as the pitches, and a lot like that's that's what they were taught in Latvia. Yeah, uh, my, my fiance and I always have to. I'll say La Major instead of A Major around her, just because it's yeah. quicker to, for her to catch it. Um, but you know, that's literally just singing a scale. But write that piece and see if see if you can even make it anywhere near as brilliant as that piece is. Right, right. So I mean, yeah, it's on the page. But then I also hate it when people call him a minimalist. I, I really, I can't, I can't handle that. Um, and you'll find many a textbook that will call them that. Oh, and indeed. I just, I just, yeah. What, what pieces did you do as part of your dissertation? Uh, we looked a little bit of that. So my, I had a, my mind was a little more of a compare, compare, contrast sort of post 1950 yeah. Eastern Europe. I think I put, um, oh. Ert, Goretzky, Ligeti, and yeah. maybe I, I, I don't know. I don't think I had Taverner in there, but I, I might have tacked it yeah. on later. But, you know, was sort of post-1950, Ligeti went sort of hyper-complex. Um, yeah. And Parrot and Goretzky kind of, I mean, Parrot started off sort of uh, experimental. You know, he wasn't just... The, oh, very, very. No, not sort of very. Wasn't, a, wasn't, wasn't right out of the bat. So I uh, basically the hyper-complexity contrasts with the hyper-simplicity. And I think uh, I, might, I'm, yeah. I think I might have Tormis in there the little folk oriented it's so funny because we, we talk a lot about baltic music these days and, and i think you have to know about tormies you have to know about arvo parrot to really i mean nothing exists in a vacuum so we we, we get into our eric's essenballs who i who i like as a composer but i mean there's yeah. so much there's so much before that you know i'm a i've been a, on the choral journal board for about 10 years now and Vance Wolverton had this series of all these, you know, Baltic and Baltic portraits, he called it, all these composers that really, you know, laid the groundwork to the folks we know today. So I, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated with that music. Yes, go ahead. It's what I was going to say, and it is, I mean, I, I've been introducing as many people as I possibly can to the music of Latvia, just because it's, you know, one of my favorite things is to sit and listen to, and I've had a few opportunities, but my fiance trained, you know, as, as an, as just as they do in Latvia, everybody's learning music. And in fact, her father was a percussion instructor at this school in their little town and their little town in Western Latvia called Saldus has this $5 million music building mm. that is in $5 million in their money, which is a lot of money, yeah, yeah. but kids spend, I think it's like eight Euro a month to get daily ensemble theory and private lessons at this school for like three hours in the afternoon. Yeah. It has rehearsal rooms and, and performance, a performance space that are better than anything outside of the Abbey that I get to perform at at BC or rehearse in at BC. 
I mean, it's incredible, but that's just, it's the music is just their culture. It's just what they do. But so when I sit and listen to my fiance, very rarely will sit down and play piano and sing these Latvian folk songs. Mm -hmm. And they're some of the most beautiful melodies I've ever heard. And, and just that tradition, they are a singing culture. Yeah. And if you watch the, the massive song festivals in, you know, Latvia and Estonia, especially, and go to see where these are performed and where they're happening, you know, it's hundreds of thousands of people singing together. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible thing. And it's been going on a lot longer, but there was a lot of years that we had no contact because obviously right. under Soviet control and different things like that. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, the music tradition there is so amazing. I, I implore people to just jump in. Indeed. <laughs> and Eschenwald's is great, actually. Yeah. I, I, I really love his music and Vasques, oh, Petrus Vasques. I mm. love his music. There's just some great Latvian people out there. Indeed. Indeed. Great well, Tim, I could do this forever, really. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think we'll do another can one. You, can I, let me yeah. ask you a personal question. You've mentioned her a few times. How did you meet? Is that okay? Can, can I ask you how you met your fans? Sure, I don't mind telling the crazy story. Oh, right, go um, ahead. Go ahead. This is fun. No, it, it's so it is really, really a crazy story, and it's 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 quite special to us, but. Um, I had the Benedictine College Chamber Singers in Italy in 2017 and crazy tour that we started. Our first thing was singing mass at St. Mark's in Venice and it mm. went up from there. It was pretty crazy. We did mass in Assisi uh, and, and we did a couple other, got to do sing for a papal mass, sing for our own mass at St. Peter's, all sorts of stuff. But we sang at St. Paul's Outside the Walls, one of the papal basilicas and even even before I met her, walking in there, it's it's probably my favorite church in the world. Mm. I just love it. And had an amazing experience there with my students and singing for for mass there. And the uh, the choir director, organist, and kind of head of everything music at St. Paul's Outside the Walls uh, is this crazy awesome guy named Christian, who's from Argentina. And Christian's English, I, he sent me a couple of messages in English that always make me laugh. Uh, but we, we got to know each other through an interpreter, yeah. uh, one, of, one of the monks there through the abbey that's there. And to we're, just talk about things, um, but uh, to, for the mass and everything else. But then during that mass and at all the masses that we sang, um, we, had, we had learned and I had written for one of the groups, an alumni choir I do but a setting of um, Osacrum Convivium mm -hmm. that has really become uh, one, probably one of my more well-known pieces. And uh, it's one very special to me too. I just, I really love the piece, but we sang it for mass. Christian fell in love with it on first hearing it. And I gave him a score mm -hmm. when, when mm -hmm. we were done there that day. Well, they started singing it in the choir there. And mm -hmm. my now fiance, Anya was a soprano in the choir. And in April or March, I guess it was on Holy Week of 2018, they sang it for a papal mass um, for Holy Thursday. And on Facebook, I wrote to Christian and thanked him. Yeah. And a bunch of the choir members started friending me on mm -hmm. Facebook. And I, I just all these people and I was writing to all of them and saying, thank you. I didn't I tried in Italian, you know, I use Google Translate or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But usually I just said in English, I said, you know, I don't know if you speak English, but thank you for doing my piece. And it's nice to make a connection with you. Um, and then to be totally honest, I saw this blonde girl as a member of the choir. And so I, but I wrote to her and we just started talking through Facebook Yeah, and it was, it's crazy. And she's like, well, yeah, I'm studying. And, uh, she's, um, and she's just finishing a master's on, on Hildegard and one of Hildegard's texts called Caritas. Mm -hmm. Um, and we just started talking and later that summer. I was like, well, and that was 2018. I said, well, I love traveling. How about I fly to Latvia? And because <laughs> um, she was spending the summer at, with her parents. And so I did. And oh. the first four days, um, I met her in the airport for the first time mm. face to face. I mean, we had talked like you and I are talking now for yeah, sure. every day for months. But um, And it was such a learning experience to spend four days with her family who don't speak English. Yes. Um, and so, and she speaks, she, she gets mad when I say this cause she doesn't feel she's solid enough in all of these, but you know, she speaks Latvian, Italian, German, um, Spanish, uh, Greek, Latin, mm. if she has to yeah. and Polish, those are ones she's fluent in. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's just like, so I had to, but I love it. I it's, I, and I, I, I try and tell people to do this as well, as much as they can find a culture or go someplace where you don't speak the language and see how you handle it. Yeah. It's eye opening and it makes you realize we are all the same. That's right. We are all the same. I got a tour. Unfortunately, her father's passed away, but my first time that was there that I got to see him and meet him and spend some time with him. He gave me a tour of his school and I got to see his studio where he te where he taught and yeah. and we have all this connection and he's actually he was part of an and they're amazing. I got to hear him play at his funeral actually, but um he was part of an accordion ensemble. He was mm -hmm. their drummer. <laughs> and called the Accords and he gave me their CD that they've released and put out. And you know, I'm like I would do the same thing if I had it, you know, going to a different culture. Here's a gift. This is this is what it was. This is yeah. what I do. And, you know, he and I never really spoke in the days I hung out with him because he always had to talk through Anya. But it's great. And we all do the same thing. We all geek out about music. Right. Right. And I love it. And it's so, so much wait, fun, though. Four days. And that's so it. So anyway. Yeah. Four days and you met. So, yeah. Connection. We met and then and then um, she came here for a while. She came here for a couple of weeks in spring of 2018 or into 2019. I went back there in this trip that I was talking about with meeting parent. Actually, I spent there for I was there for three weeks with her family. Mm -hmm. um, and then she came back here for three months. And then the sad part of it, although we're going to get through it somehow, I have not seen her since uh, December 31st of 2019. Gotcha. Um, she flew Kansas City to fly home and was going to move back here and we were going to get married and COVID has shut all of that down. Hmm. So we'll get there where we're, we still obviously talk every day and see each other that way. But, but yeah, it's been crazy. And, but I love it because she's, she's influenced my music more than I could ever realize because she is, she is just a, a wealth of knowledge of chant. Yeah. And I'm realizing it is a great, great, great thing to base most of my compositions on yeah yeah wonderful 
Well, that is, yeah, a, so anyway, that is a fascinating crazy story. Box. This has been great. This has been absolutely yeah, it's great. Been awesome. So, so thanks. I, I have to, I want to tell you to get back to work as someone with the doctor. Oh yeah. Yeah. I got to finish that whole dissertation. I'm going to put you back so. to work right now. So thank you Alrighty, my so friend. much, Tim. Best of luck. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy. We only said the COVID word like one time because a lot of, yeah, I'm sorry. That was my fault. No, 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 no. Don't be sorry. I don't want to talk about <laughs> it. I, a lot of this, I don't either doing Harry and everyone's, you know, a little semi-therapeutic here, but this has been a nice therapeutic break for me not to. Um, um, me too, my friend. What you're doing, keep looking forward. Too bad we can't see each other at our our conference, our virtual conferences. Yeah. I like going by the music boat, music spoke booth, and seeing people. But thank you so much for joining me today, Tim. Appreciate it. Yeah. Best of luck to you. Bye bye.